Dear Church Podcast. Since since Jack and Sam were old enough to talk, um, every time I've left the house, I've looked at them, I've called them to the doors, I've left the house, and I've said, "Take care of your mother and your sister." I did it with Sam this morning. He's thirteen. Oh I do wow! It every single time I leave the house, because that's their job is to, is to is to be the man. Now, do, we all yeah. have sons, correct? Every one of us on this podcast, we do. Yeah, everybody has sons. That's it, that's a and the Lord gave us a daughter at the very end. I say the end because we are done. But the uh, the final you know cherry on top is is our daughter Graceland. But you know we have we have three boys. Our our home is very male heavy. Uh, I grew mm-hmm. up with two brothers. Um, and there's something to the you know the whole idea of being a man and being masculine, and that that has to be taught. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of, <laughs> I think everybody in this, in the culture that we live in today is kind of looking around going, how do we do that? You know, if you're a Bible believing Christian, how do you identify, uh, Christian masculinity, biblical masculine masculinity and train your children and teach your children in that way? I agree. It has to be taught, but I think it's instinctive first. God creates us that way. Mm-hmm. He creates a man, a man creates a woman, a woman. The world, the devil, and the flesh seek to twist that away, but right. he creates us that way. But then I agree. I agree with you completely. It does have to be taught. And I think yeah, it has it's to be more, taught by speech and by mentoring both, by example. It, it's as much, uh, well, maybe more nature than nurture or equal parts both. But I agree with what you're saying that, you know, God makes us what we are and then that has to be um, that has to be nurtured and encouraged and good examples go a long way. I well, remember when, go ahead. No, I, go ahead. When, when Manny and I first started having children and our oldest is 20, so it's been some time ago, but I remember we had distinct conversations about how we're going to reinforce for each child what their gender is and what their strengths are and help them to deal with their weaknesses and to try to do it in a biblical framework. Um, and I don't know my, I have two sons and a daughter. They may grow up to be heathens. I don't know, but I, I hope my daughter's a lady and my sons are men. Don't you think the mother has as much role in creating a man as the father does? No. Well, maybe not as much, but a huge role. Yes. Well, you know, I have a unique perspective because I always say, and it's not a joke that I learned how to be a man from my mother because I was in a single parent home. You know, my dad wasn't around from the time I was 18 months old. And, you know, my mom never remarried until I was 32. So I was never around a male, like in the home I wasn't. Now I had a big brother, but he had the same problem I had. And I did look up to my big brother a lot. And, you know, I was thinking when you guys were saying that, you know, the, the natural process of men being men in the presence of testosterone, and we hear about that stuff. I think what's produced in men is an aggression and I think biblically, biblical men um, are taught to take that aggression and use it to help others, where ungodly men take that aggression and use it to promote themselves. And I think that's the difference between a passive man um, and a godly man, because men aren't supposed to be passive. They should be standing up for their for their moms and for their sisters and for their wives and their children. Even if that means you go, you have to go and slap someone at the Oscars. Is that what you're oh, saying, no. Steve? 
Oh, don't get me started on that nonsense. There is so much nuance to all of that. You know, all of us know that in a in a in a perfect world that'd be an awesome scenario. But I once punched I once punched a church member for saying something negative about my wife. It was kind of awkward. Whoa, what? Were you the pastor? Yeah. Yeah, it was the pastor. You keep rolling out these stories. They're like, wow. You just threw that out like we should just be cool with it. What in the world? I don't know. I just determined uh, early on in our marriage, someone said something to my wife once and I didn't do anything. And my wife was like hurt by it. And I thought this guy, like, I forgot what he said. She's ugly or a cow or something. And oh, I just wow. like, punched him. Well, that yeah, that's so. OK. <laughs> and he, he had a lot of issues himself, but. And it didn't turn into some brouhaha. He kind of laughed, but I was like, no, you don't get to say that about my wife. I didn't punch him in the face. Should have, but. Okay, now, was this like a slap fight and you're trying to make it sound like it was really cool? <laughs> no, it wasn't a slap fight. Oh, my uh, word. You know, I, don't, I shouldn't have talked about that on here. People are start asking questions. They're not in our church anymore. So That's a good and thing. Well, I'm the one who edits. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few minutes ago, you said about, you know, aggression. I, I don't know. I feel like there's got to be a better, a better word than aggression because you don't aggressively help someone. Well, you know, and, and I know what you mean, but what, what would be a better word for that? The, the clinical psychologist term is agreeableness, actually. What? And men are less agreeable than women oh. in general. So maybe, the there, word, maybe the word is action. Yeah, well, well that, that, yeah, implies, that, that implies a lack of, of thought. Well, well, no, so I don't have a problem with Steve. I actually don't have a problem with the word aggression. I, right. I really don't because that's what I it is. I mean, I understand what Martin's point, I think. But but I, I, for the sake of the conversation, I don't have a I don't have a problem with the word aggression because male men are by nature more aggressive. I think I think we should try to use Bible words, which makes me sound super spiritual and the rest of you not. That's not what I meant. Um, I, I like the word authority. That's the Bible term that's given so often. And authority implies leadership. It implies making decisions. It implies bearing responsibility. It implies taking action. Brother to use your word. It implies all of those things. Yes, I just think that when you're discussing the distinction or the differences between male and female, that that's, I don't know, maybe we're on different wavelengths. Does that, does that, that sound like possible? Sure. Yeah. That's what I mean, it sounds like to me because, because I think by nature where aggression is not a bad thing. I mean, right. you, you know, you, you and, and, and there's statistics that back that up, right? I mean, the majority, what is it like 80, 80 to 90% of people in prison today are men, are men. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you have you have military statistics that back that up as well, mm -hmm. uh, just from a natural bio, even I would say biological, but also just just what emanates from from a man is this natural aggression. Now, I think I think the culture and society has tried to ta tame that or temper that or destroy it. Tried to shame by it. Trying, yeah, tried to shame it. Exactly. So then you have the term toxic masculinity. Does anybody else hate that term? Um, yes. All, all yeah. of my hands are raised, however many I have. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't like it because of where it comes from, you know, and I think it, it's in an attempt to destroy actual manhood masculinity. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned the prison population being 80 percent male. Another aspect of that is most people in prison have major dad issues it's like men failed when men mm -hmm. fail mm -hmm. when men fail men it doesn't go well and mm -hmm. i think a part of that is there's that understanding to curb 
to curb that aggression into something yeah. other than self, you know, and God brought men into mm-hmm. my life. Jim Wright was my youth pastor. Brian Tannis was my, when I was in college, he came to the church as my youth pastor, men that really poured into me and, you know, said, shut up, broadneck, um, many, many times. And I think that goes back to what we, to what we referenced earlier, which is that we're instinctively, God makes us men, but that has to be channeled and it's channeled mm-hmm. best. It's channeled best in a home with a mother and father, both. But generally speaking, it's channeled best by a man who understands what those, a, a godly man, let's preface that with that adjective, by a godly yes. man who will teach his son, here's what a godly man does and what a godly man is, regardless of what society thinks, regardless of what your peers think. Um, and, so I guess and shows that, him that, that kind of, those natural attributes of man, they can be aggressive, but when they are channeled into a a biblical format, then it's more of a biblical authority. You know, it's, it's, it's that authority, it's that permission to stand up and be counted. It's that authority to stand and defend. And so it's, you know, I'm just thinking of the way that we channel it into something that is, you know, good. Because, I mean, we've already referenced the Oscars with Will Smith. I mean, he he showed aggression. But Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, on the one hand, I like that he did what he did. On the other hand, I couldn't condone it. Like if that was my son, I would have said to him, hey, look, that wasn't the right way to react in that scenario. Um, So how, you know, and so I think that's where it's good to, you know, in my mind, at least. And I don't I don't disagree with what Steve was saying, um, but to differentiate between aggression and the, you know, the good outworking of it. I think aggression is what you're given in your nature as a man. I think temperance is what God wants you to have to add to that. That makes that helps to make you a man of God. And that's it's important that we have temperance. It's important that we have meekness. You know, I mean, Jesus being mm. the the most powerful mm. man, if you will, the meekest man as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about what is the world's idea of masculinity. Let's let's define it. Um, let's try to define it from the perspective of what culture sees it as now. And then we can flip it on its head a little bit and talk about the comparisons and contrasts between a God from a God, a man of God. You know, I, I, I grew up, uh, watching old Westerns. Um, uh, you guys know that cause we've talked about it, but you know, if you were to say who said, you know, life is hard, it's harder when you're stupid. I already know the answer is John Wayne. You know, I mean, those, those are the kind of Westerns we grew up on. I do think that there's an aspect of masculinity that is rough and tough and, and, uh, and all of that. But where have we gone wrong with that? And how has, how has the world as a whole taken that and skewed it? I think the world, isn't there a new book out? I haven't read it uh, that, that talks about, equates John Wayne with being evangelical. And I can't think of the name of that book. Jesus and John Wayne? Yeah, that's what it is. As if it's, I've not read it either. It, I, I'm it, waiting for the author <clears throat> to die before I read it. <laughs> um, I, uh, no context, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I know. I, that That's an inside joke. I don't really want the author to die. Go there, ahead. There is context. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the, the, the secular world, of course, the, the world world, has, has taken that concept of masculinity and said, e- equated that with the phrase you used earlier, toxic masculinity. And I think that springs from several things. I think it springs from the devil who wants to pervert whatever God intends. So mm-hmm. if God had said that a man should be this, the devil doesn't really care. He's just going to say the opposite. Well, the world, Ephesians chapter 2 says, marches in lockstep with the devil. So the world system is going to then take God's concept of manhood, which is not necessarily John Wayne, but that sense of being a leader and a protector and making decisions and being forceful and 
and it's going to turn that, it's going to twist that and try to turn those kind of men into a feminine kind of men. Um, and at the same time, our flesh, our own flesh leads us as men into the wrong directions of perverting and twisting our own concept of manhood. Now, the world, the flesh and the devil are always the enemy. They're always after whatever God wants to wants to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So, Stephen, can you do a good impression of John Wayne? No, I'm not <laughs> even going to try. I'll be mocked. I'm not going to try it, <clears throat> but no. uh, it's he's a good example, though, because I think there are things, you know, and again, just agree wholeheartedly with what um, Tom was saying. But there, there's much about John Wayne and other, you know, Western heroes that is admirable, um, but it's not necessarily and it isn't the biblical example of a man as it stands alone. So give an example of what you mean when you say it's admirable, but not biblical. Well, it's it's out of balance. Let me put it that way. Mm. So they were they they reflected one element of what it means to be a man, but not it, it's not the the whole persona that you would see in the Bible. And I was thinking of some of the cultural stereotypes, like I don't think you ever see John Wayne in a kitchen cooking a meal. You know, John Wayne will receive a meal from a woman in the kitchen, but there's a cultural stereotype that men don't cook. Um, and you don't see John Wayne writing poetry. You know, that, that is sometimes seen as being, you know, somehow weaker and effeminate. And yet you look at biblical examples and David wrote poetry. David right, was, right, you know. Right. So I, I think that, you know, it, so it reflects well one element of what it means to be a man. And, and we can look at those as good examples, but it's not the whole picture. Yeah. And I think. I think we got to hit on what the biblical balance is. And there's a word that used to be used a lot that is getting lost. And that is gentleman. Amen. You know, we talk about gentlemen and I think that's the biblical, you know, if you put it into mm-hmm. one word that would describe what a man ought to be. And that is, you know, and, and the fact of the matter is the John Wayne's the, that brash, hard, stereotypical, you know, male that definitely was, you know, lauded in the 50s, uh, you know, television genre and things like that. You, you basically have it's exciting. It, it, it's it's drama. It's it's all that. It's funny. But some of that isn't what a biblical man ought to be. But then then have we swung too far that we've created yeah. this this yeah. toxicity word? Yeah. And I think we really have. And I think I think all the men listening to this podcast should be thinking, you know, men need to rise up. And what what's going on in our, our country with all the transgender stuff and all of that? And and the, the and that's part of being aggressive and being a man. It's not when public outcry comes against us, you've got to be willing to say, no, I, I don't care. A, a thousand people can say I shouldn't say that, but it's right. It's biblical. And I'm going to stand. Exactly. OK, so this is this is where I want to this is where I want to comment. And that is because I want my sons to grow up to be masculine. Okay, define the term manly. Now, I want them to be godly, but in being godly, I also want them to be masculine. I want them to be manly. And I think where we, like you said, Steve, we've swung too far. I think what we've done is we've taken these manly men and what they've, what you mentioned, John Wayne and 
whatnot. I've always, you know, someone, someone once said that Steve was the John Wayne of Twitter. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, if we, hey, if, you we if we, John off, Wayne, I didn't, <laughs> if we, if we go too far, what we do then is we fail to understand what's happening. I think what's happening is this is, is that the picture of a John Wayne or a, a Trump or whatever is, is masculinity that is in the flesh versus masculinity that is yeah. in the spirit. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. a man ought to be 100% capable of anything. I think he ought to be ferocious. I think he ought to be a warrior. I think he ought to be a fighter in his heart. I think he ought to be willing. But I think he ought to, as I heard a, uh, an army ranger uh, captain once tell me, he said, you know, we teach that men need to have on, on the windows of their figurative home, they have bars of steel with curtains of velvet. There needs to be that gentleness to you, but there also needs to be that strength that is always ready to go always ready to be what it needs to be. Now, I want to bring in the scripture on this. I think a great passage of scripture as it relates to godly masculinity, spiritual uh, in, you know, walking in the spirit as a man would be a picture of what David told Solomon when David was about to die. In 1 Kings 2, uh, it says the days of David drew nigh that he should die and he charged Solomon, his son. So final words to his son, his son's going to be the king. And he says, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word, which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart. And with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. That to me is, is a, is something I want to teach my kids because it really, it's a sermon and I'm not going to preach a sermon on this podcast, but here Solomon is being charged by his father as a young man to be strong and to be a man. And I mean, that's very distinct. Like there's not a lot of different, there's not a lot of nuance in that. Yeah. I think I would pair with that Psalm 119. Um, because there's a Jewish tradition that Psalm 119 was written by David, and it's only tradition, so if you disagree, that's fine. But Psalm 119 was written as this alphabetic psalm that would both teach the alphabet, but also godly principles. And, you know, it's just this wonderful idea of David sitting down and teaching his son everything that you just said, how to be a man, but also how to love the word and deal with enemies and everything that makes up that uh, those 176 verses. Mm-hmm. I think you see manhood taught in the Bible explicitly in passages like what you just referenced, uh, Stephen. Um, I did a study years ago in our men's Bible class. I took the, every time the word man was found in the book of Proverbs, and I taught uh, probably 20 weeks from it on what Proverbs says, here's what a man is, what a mm-hmm. man isn't. Um, but then you also see it taught by example. So you see it in the successes and failures of the prophets, of the apostles. Of course, ultimately, you see it most of all in the life of Christ. And I think anytime you point someone toward Christ, um, you're going to point them toward the perfect example for what they ought to be as a man or a woman. And I say that carefully and respectfully. But in this in this context, he was the perfect man, not just human, but also masculine man. Absolutely. That's an interesting thing. How often, like with you know what Stephen read there, that you know so often there is a definite designation: be a man. And you know, for a long time, I've loved uh, what is it, Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, sixteen thirteen, where he says, "Quit like a man." You know, mm-hmm. quit you like men. 
and it doesn't mean to you know slam the door and storm out and say I'm done. You know, it's right. it means to to stand. And the image in my mind has always been like a you know someone doing a tug of war. You kind of dig your heels in and you stand your ground. You know, stand like a man. And it, mm-hmm. but just kind of in, in what we're talking about is there are times when it doesn't it assumes the differences between man and woman are known and man and woman exist. And and that even that basic difference has been lost today. Um, and, it's, and, it's not only lost, it's and not just attacked. Even real men often almost become apologetic for being a man. That's right. And I think I think that is a uh, I just finished a book, Rod Dreher's uh, Live Not by Lies, which I think is a sort of a half good book and a half bad book. But his point, quoting Alexander Solzhenitsyn, just stop telling lies that just just stop repeating the lies our society says. And Mm -hmm. for men to just stop apologizing for being a man, that doesn't mean you have to be harsh and brutal and controlling and manipulative and distant emotionally and obnoxious and intimidating and all that. Just be what God calls you to be as a man and don't apologize for it. There's nothing wrong with being a man. Don't act like there is. Right. And when men are men, it helps society. Um, Yeah. I know. And and I will um, I'll give a plug and anyone listening, I would suggest you search the Internet. I'm sure you can find it rather easily. Um, a message series by Wayne Hardy um, on blending gender lines. And he gives and it starts the whole thing with an illustration of the Titanic. And, you know, it was men and w- or women and children first. And the percentage of women and children that were saved from that horrible accident and then there was a cruise ship the estonia i think in 1995 that um a bunch of people died and the mantra on that ship was every man for himself and the amount of women and children that died compared to men and you know people people they're messing when they when they're trying to tear down masculinity they are hurting a society and hurting women and think about what's going on now in women's sports it's like men aren't supposed to be men and now men can be women and it's just it's hurting everything. And when men are overly aggressive or overly passive, when they, when they come outside of that biblical bounds and go into either one of those ditches, yeah. it hurts women and yeah. children and they yeah. suffer and yeah. it, it's awful. Steve, you brought up the the concept of being a father. The word father or a variation of it is found 1,517 times in the Bible. It is emphasized. I mean, it's it's something that scripture emphasizes. And yet the biggest problem we have with men in our culture today is absent fathers. And so there's certainly something to be said about all of that. Uh, let's talk about stereotypes, though. And, and Martin, you were getting there. And I want to go back to that. With, with the stereotypes, I think we think that men are exclusively rough, and tough, uh, their their Nimrod, their Esau, whatever. But the Bible actually shows us men of war, men of great courage, who kind of defied some stereotypes. They had that gentleness to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and I love the the adventure stories. I love. Um, we were talking earlier, and I I was thinking of Second Samuel ten, where you have Joab and Abshai trapped on two fronts. They've got the Ammonites on the one side and the Syrians on the other. And in verse twelve, um, well, first of all, he he it says that he chose out choice men, and so mm. there were the best of men that could be chosen to fight on the battle lines. And I love that idea of, of trying to aspire to be among those choice men. Amen. But he says, be of good courage. Let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. And there's a, 
again, there's that adventure, there's that warrior spirit, which I think we need to have, but there's also that faith in God. You know, we're going to fight, we're going to do what we can. And, um, you know, if you guys remember your Latin, uh, there's a couple of Latin phrases that maybe come to mind. Uh, there's one that says pro aris et facase, which is for hearth and home, which essentially leads to um, the army chaplain motto of pre deo et patria. Do you know what that one means, guys? Do you remember your Latin classes from school? We grew up in America, didn't have them. What What do you learn in school if you're not learning Latin? <laughs> so anyway, pro deo et patria for God and country. There you go. What have you been That's doing good. all your life? This lives? is why the English Empire ruled the world in the 19th <laughs> I love, century. I love how Martin is actually shocked that we're all looking at him like, continue. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah. no, but there's, there is, again, like you're saying, there's that warrior spirit, there's fighting, but there's also that faith. Um, and, and yeah, so I think you, you can learn from the stereotypes, but also mm-hmm. blend them with the distinctions of scripture. I think that there is a trend. It, it, it's found a lot in evangelical circles, contemporary circles who want to copy the world anyway, where they want to, they, they want to come back this way from so-called toxic masculinity. They've effeminized their churches. Yeah, there, there's books and articles and studies about this, about how those sorts of churches have become so feminine that they have more women than men and men feel real men. I mean, manly men don't feel comfortable in those kind of churches. And I think this is one of the strengths of of the independent Baptist movement that you go in the typical independent Baptist church, typical, not, not everyone, but you find men who are who are strong men, as well as ladies who are strong ladies, it allows both of them to thrive in that environment. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think men respond to that when they're treated as men and allowed to be men and, and mentored to being men and pointed toward Christ. I think they respond to that. Yeah. I think that in our churches, we need to, we need to preach and model that. I, I remember years ago hearing a tape of a famous preacher and I won't call him out that acted like, You know, and and to me, the key and it was here, let me he acted like, you know, he talked about Esau, you know, in Genesis 25, the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of a field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And he talked about what a wimp Jacob was and how he was more like Esau. And he he bashed Jacob and then he he lifted up Esau as if that's somehow a model but in Romans 9:13 as it is written Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated you know so and the model should be that in a church setting and in, in, as Christians that we we are men of God and Amen. to me the term man of God isn't just for the preacher it's that we follow God and when you think of Martin was talking about some of those biblical examples of men being men you also find men that seemed somewhat fearful and weak I think of Gideon hiding but hmm. when God got a hold of him and he followed God, he did awesome and mighty Amen. things. And that's what we need Amen. men to rise up and to be men of God that say, I am not going to bend on what God says. So uh, to that, I agree with the point entirely. I disagree with the with the old preacher who preached on I'm more like Esau. And I kind of disagree with your thought on it as well, Steve. <laughs> I don't mean that. I just, just disagree with everything. everyone, Stephen. Well, I don't, I don't, uh, you just know, just, verses, Jacob, just call me Jacob Tom Brennan. You saw Eva hated. But, he didn't, but hold on, but hold on. He didn't love Jacob because Jacob was a soft, effeminate cook. Yeah, no, I agree. I, that's not. That's you know not I mean, actually, the point of Romans nine. The, well, the, the, exactly. No, but, and, 
and, and I know I know what you're saying. I agree with the point, but I'm not going to tell my kids that, well, you know, if you're like Jacob, it's okay because God loved Jacob and not Esau. That's not the way I'm going with that. I think that that Jacob was actually wrong to be effeminate. I think he was wrong to, because he was effeminate. He was in his in his uh, in the tents. He was he was a surplanter. He was a heel grabber. You're, okay. you're okay. reading Time into out. that. You're, yes. reading, you're reading yes. in that he's effeminate. Yes, I agree with Brother. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not at all. Oh my Jacob, God! He spent, he spent twenty years out in the out in the out in the fields building Laban's I flock. Day, I think for his day, he was effeminate, hundred percent. Didn't Jacob wrestle with the Lord? Like, oh, yeah. thank you very much, Genesis. Is that Bible? Is that's that Bible? a fight or flight? That's fight or flight. That has nothing to do <laughs> nothing to do with his overall overall temperament. Well, that was, one theological that was point. not fright or, flight or fright. He he wouldn't let him go. Yeah. He wanted God's blessing. He was Charles Jacob Wesley. Was, Jacob was him. a man of God. Yeah, he, Charles he Wesley wrote an incredible. Sorry, Charles Wesley wrote an incredible hymn about the Jacob wrestling with the Lord. But that's for another day. A theological point I want to raise: when Romans, where it says Jacob and I have loved, but Esau have I hated. Um, you know, I think that is it's important to understand that it's not about the choice of the man, but it's election to a purpose. Because the Calvinists take that and then lead into individual election. Yeah, that's not um, individual. That's but national. Esau wasn't hated in the sense that he was hated. He was simply not chosen for a purpose of bringing <laughs> right, forth the Messiah. That. So, um, and I know that's. I just want to raise that as a theological point. Can, can and we go back to? Can we go back to all criticizing Russ because he's just flat out wrong here? Yeah, he is. <laughs> Hey, well, I mean, I'm we've thinking already heard there is a, say that men need to learn how to cook. Going back to my too. original point, though, is that I I disagree with that preacher who said, "Well, you know, you'd be like Esau," and yeah, I disagree well, I with that. Steve because it goes too far the other way. But I love you in my in in the Lord. So, just I so think there's know. a great balance of <laughs> of authority and being a manly man, but mm-hmm. also being a godly gentleman. In when you look at the the attributes of a of a pastor in first Timothy three, it says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. So there's ambition, there's drive, there's that want to be something, whether it's a, a, you know, a pastor or something else. Um, he's vigilant. He's got self-control. Um, he's not given to wine or anything else that controls him. He's, he's not a brawler. He's not covetous. He's, you know, so I I think, and it goes on to say he's gentle. He's apt to teach. Well, I, think I think a better illustration, not just for a pastor, but for for right. every man. I think a better illustration of of what we're trying to communicate is not Jacob, but David. See, I think Jacob, mm-hmm. in every sense, was was just lousy as a person. Anyway, uh, David, <laughs> however, <laughs> wow, wow, David, David, however, okay, and and Dave, they all had their. They all, I'm sorry, guys. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. But David, here he is. He's a warrior. He's a fighter, but yet he's a musician. He's a poet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is he is what he is what we're trying to describe better than Jacob. So I just took issue with using Jacob as a role model for. Are you leading into like a not so subtle advert for Faithway Music? Like no. Hey, why no, don't we I'm, just use the name for Jacob that God gave him and just call him Israel and then talk prince. about how he was a how, prince with God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, maybe so, that's anyway, a good David. example of. <laughs> you know, it's a good example of what a man shouldn't be, but what any man can become. You know, in maybe Christ. if he hung out with his father more, yeah, that's, that's then, good. you know, it may have been better. And there's nothing wrong with the, there's, it's vital to have the influence of a good man. Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm touchy on this issue just because that's all I did is hang out with my mom. So, but, and but I would that, never... that's where to me, a man being a man doesn't have those 
those markers that like brother Russ wants to hit on because I, I, I think you can be a man. Other, In fact, I had a man once I was, I was somewhat joking of being afraid of a spider and I, I'm not a big fan of spiders anyways, but I'm not as afraid as I was somewhat pretending to be. And he was like, you know, that's kind of, you know, whatever. And I was just like, well, I could, you know, well, Steve, it, it you're the only one among us who doesn't have a beard either. I'm just pointing it out. Let's just get, <laughs> yeah, okay. get out of the literally, way. I no, literally me, a, was a man. <laughs> a man takes care of his wife and kids, pays I'm his sorry. bills, you yeah. know, pays his bills. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it, takes you, his family to church. You're you're spot on, and I think sometimes we can we can want to push as fathers, as pastors, as youth pastors, as yep. mentors. We can I almost said Boy Scout leaders, but let's not go there. Um, we can want to push boys in a particular direction that we envision manhood to be, like Esau, etc., like David. God made everybody with strength and weaknesses. He gave all of us talents. And you can be a real man, a godly man, a strong man, not a passive man, not an effeminate man, and not necessarily kill a thousand ducks on your vacation in Washington every year. Oh, Stephen would be happy if he could kill one. You're not going to get me off track here. Hold on. So let's go now to where I agree. Steve is 100% correct, and I'm just going to articulate it to where it makes sense in my mind. I think what you're saying, Steve, is we need to promote a depth of manhood over a demeanor of manhood. That's good. I'll take so it. That, that is that is to me 100% accurate because there are, okay, you put 100 people in a room, the chances are that the most aggressive person in that room is a man, right? Especially, I mean, yeah. if you've got men and women in the room, chances are that. But there's also a chance that in that room, there's there's a man whose demeanor is not as aggressive maybe even as some of the women in the room who is absolutely a man in a godly sense of the term. Yeah. And, you know, that goes along with one of the things I've often said and I want to teach my sons and I've mentioned it to my church is that you, you see men that are this hard shell and this, this demeanor, but when it gets down to their core, they're just squishy and they're nothing. Mm-hmm. When, when I think biblically, yeah. I think a man should be soft on the outside and and hardened on the inside. Like there's core principles that they're not going to bend from. I've even seen preachers that way that are so hard about something so insignificant and peripheral and tertiary. And they're so hard about that. And then when it really, when the gospel's challenged, they almost become like mealy mouth. And it, it's just... That's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to stand for the important thing for our families and have a gentle, approachable. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, you know, instructing those that oppose themselves. So, you know, it's the as a man, have that soft, approachable, you know, outside, but don't bend on the important things and be ready to stand and fight for what's important. Yeah. And that's what David told Solomon. He said, be thou strong, therefore, and show yourself a man, show thyself a man. In other words, the man's got to show up to the battle. The man has got to step up to the big moment. There's a statement and you guys know it, but, uh, okay. Strong men create good times that create weak men that create bad times that create strong men. And the cycle continues. Yeah, that's okay. just history. Yeah. That's history, exactly. But David tells Solomon, his son, he says, you're going to have to step up. And that's where, that's where Steve, we got to do that. 
right? We've got to step forward and we've got to have this approachableness, yes, but there's got to be a resolve on the inside that says, I'm not compromising on my conviction. So there's there's two discussions. Uh, I would have said have thick skin and a tender heart. You say have an approachableness and a gentleness, but a hard uh, interior. But I think what you mean by that is to have conviction, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, like, don't live by preference for sure. Have conviction. Yeah, there you go. Get um, your yeah. digs in. Why don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So who would be some <laughs> examples of, of godly men that you would point others to? I mean, obviously, we want to be good examples for our children and for the, the, the young people that we have influence over. But who would you also point to, maybe not even a specific, but, you know, someone who has an ex- a similar experience to you, Steve, where maybe in their immediate household, there's not that, that male role model. How would you I advise them? I, I've taught single ladies in our church, or I should say not single ladies, but single parent ladies. In other words, ladies in a, in, in a home with children without a husband to get their boys around the good solid men at church as much as possible. Get them mm-hmm. around some man that'll teach them to play sports, get them around some man that'll take them hunting, get them around some man who will take them soul winning, get them around some man who will take them out for a, you know, a, a cheeseburger, just get them around men so that they can, they can have that poured into their life. I think good youth pastors are good at that. Um, I think good pastors are good at that. I think good, um, uh, again, I go back to Boy Scouts, not a good illustration, but that, that idea of wanting to work with boys and, and mentor them and train them and teach them. Um, I, I, I think all of that is helpful in that scenario. I don't know. Maybe just, Steve can answer that better because of what his mom did or didn't do. I'd, I'd love to hear from Steve. Just one follow-up question for, for Tom. You mentioned youth, youth pastors. Do you think some youth pastors, without wanting to dwell too much on stereotypes, are good examples of men? because they haven't necessarily proven themselves to be a man because quite often they're <laughs> and again this may be my experience but they're high on the basis you're not asking me a question you're making a statement <laughs> <laughs> which is fine you're making a statement, statement right you ahead. agree with tom well i'm That's just wondering I do, about because I think so often we choose youth pastors just because they're young and because yes. we think that they have the energy and they can relate to the young people but they're immature um, why we don't choose pastors who've already proven they can, youth pastors who've proven they can already raise children. You know, I say that and I have a youth pastor who's probably 26, I think. But Yeah, because they don't stay youth pastors that long. Youth pastors. <laughs> They're smarter than that. With the way you screen your missionaries, you, you probably screen youth pastors. You have to be 40 <laughs> like years have, of pastoral experience before they can should. be a youth pastor. Or? You have no idea. <laughs> I, okay. I, I'm, not against, I'm not against young youth pastors. Let me just point that out. I don't want to make everyone too mad. Late. I just, you, you, you've already said it. <laughs> you, you bashed college students. You bashed youth pastors. Hey, at least he didn't bash the prince with Israel, Jacob. You know, <laughs> there's blood all over the floor in this podcast. Go ahead, Martin. I'm, I'll stop I'm interrupting you while you're trying no, to no, say No, no, no. That, that answered my question. Anyway, Steve, you, you've got good insight <laughs> on this, I know. Well, yeah, I would just amen everything Tom said is you have, you know, you have a local church and that's why it's important. And any single moms listening to this, be faithful to church. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so thankful. I have no memories of my mom ever saying, I'm just tired. I don't feel good. Let's not go to church. Wow. We literally Amen. went every time wow. the doors were opened and that had an impact. And then, you know, for men listening, invest in some young men that don't have a father around. Yeah. Thankful for my youth pastors. There was a man in our church, Ron Harness, 
and uh, he's now in heaven. But he he would take us. My brother and I would go horseback ride. And I remember one time he just took me to to a tour of the salt mines underneath Detroit. Morton Salt used to be mined from underneath Detroit, and man, I have awesome memories of that. And it was just, and it was that someone would invest. I remember, and it's weird how things can stick out. I remember one of the men in our church came to our basketball game and my mom didn't get to all my games. My dad got barely to any of my games, maybe a handful in my four years of high school sports. And this man just at church said, man, you've played a good game. I was at your game. Um, And, you know, those things go a long way. And then, you know, I think it's good. I think moms can help. I remember having conversations with my mom and she'd say, a man should do this. A man should do this. And, and those things stuck with me, and that's yeah. that's how you yeah. learn and grow. We haven't mentioned something that I think is just so helpful in our kind of churches, which is a bus ministry. You know, God obviously has a great heart for the fatherless, and I think that is exactly who that who that group is he's talking about. And a good bus captain who loves kids and loves them in the Lord and will lead, especially mentor those young men. We talked about mentoring on this podcast already, but there are numerous people I've met in churches whose lives were changed by a bus captain. You know, the Mm -hmm. Lord used that man in their life to teach them to be a man, to reach them, to mentor them, to drag them out of the the pit they were living in. Um, It's a wonderful thing to change a boy's life. Just a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's here's a question I think that needs brought up and looked at from maybe a couple different perspectives, and we have some experience here in this room. And, of course, we'd welcome our listeners' input on this too. So what do you do if you have a son that, that in your home or you have a child in your school or someone that you're working with as a youth pastor or a bus captain or just a, a young man who seems to skew more on the effeminate side, um, not just quiet, but actually, you know, acts more womanish? The world would, would contextualize that and say, well, he's, you know, he's homosexual or some something of that nature. We don't believe that's the biblical answer. How do you, within the understanding of realizing God makes all of us unique, how do you help a young man like that to become more manly, for lack of a better term, without taking away how God made him? Do you understand what I'm asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. And I I do think sometimes we will define s- some of the things you were saying in ways that we couldn't really necessarily prove biblically, like sometimes maybe the tone in someone's voice um and someone that's maybe more artsy. And I think that's unfair to do. And I think when we circle the wagons around that type of life and act like that's somehow less manliness, I think there's there's a danger in that because I know I know guys that are more artsy and maybe don't have a strong, deep voice that are godly men of God. And I think I think it's sad when people take shots at people like that. I think we got to be careful about that. So besides not taking shots at them, how do we help them? Well, I, I could say what I think on that. I think that if I had a son and he showed, to be honest with you, a lot of times this this could be someone who shows more uh, propensity toward being musical and maybe they would be very good at it. Um, and, and, you know, more on Steve, you use the word artsy more and more in an artistic kind of feel. I think I would just work toward a balance with them. Um, I don't think I would mm-hmm. discourage them. I think I would try to, to encourage them in their strength. And then I would probably try to work towards some balance. I mean, for me, you know, all of, all of my 
kids want to go hunting with daddy, you know, and, and, and that's, mm-hmm. that's good. I, I'm going to do that, but I don't force them out into sub-zero weather to do that. I mean, we go out and my expectations are low, but what I'm doing is I'm just trying to take them out and involve them in the things that dad does, uh, things that I think are, are good for them on the side of masculinity. Yeah. I think so much of it comes down to example and, and mm-hmm. you, because there are some things there that we've talked about and that there is in the, the, the world of, of homosexuality, a certain way that a lot of the men talk. And I think there's linguistics reasons for that or whatever, but there are learned patterns of behavior. Right. And I think that's right. where, you know, how you could define it, you could try and explain it. But I think better than any of that is by putting good examples um, in into their lives. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, you know, a big part of the solution that I would, I would propose. I, yeah. I appreciate Brother Russ, your, your point about balance, because it's not that you're attacking, you don't want to attack them for, for being, you know, musically inclined to just use that example, not to be a dead horse here, but, but you do want to balance that. So, okay. So, you know, take your, take your music lessons and enjoy that and, and, and all of that, but, you know, let's go shoot some hoops and, and let's go, you know, you know, do a, do a 15 mile bike ride or something. Let's balance that a little bit in some way. It's not that you're criticizing that part of how God made them. It's that you're, you don't want right. to reinforce that so much that it gets lopsided or skewed. Uh, the, the last thing you want to do is come down on them and call them derogatory names, tell Amen. them they're being a sissy because they Amen. like music, Amen. tell them, you know, that, that is where I think we've, we've seen mistakes made, right. Um, among, among Christians and their kids is that is that we've missed it, that God has gifted our children differently and gifted our sons differently. And for that matter, I mean, you know, my wife grew up going hunting with her dad. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with with even helping a young lady uh, to enjoy some of those things, but then also uh, to balance toward the other side. You know what I mean? So so those kind of things, we got to be careful. We don't want to attack our children. We want to lead our children. The Bible says raising them and nurture uh, the environment of their home and admonition, the instruction of the home. And I, th- I think it's important in a church culture, specifically like a youth group, if you see a young man mm-hmm. that you don't reinforce um, the bully aspect of what could happen yeah. in a situation like yeah, that in a youth good. group where someone is slightly artsy and different that the young men aren't teasing. And, and I remember a scenario and it wasn't even necessarily even the issue we're talking about here, but where a younger guy in the youth group just got bullied at one activity and it hurt him. It hurt him deeply. And he just stopped coming. His church, his yeah. family was faithful to, to church. And he's now a pretty good friend of mine. I mean, and, and you just think what can happen. And it, now if that happens and you don't know what's going on, you can't control it, but you can't, as a leader, allow it or reinforce it because that's not gonna, that's not gonna help that young man. It's gonna, it's gonna hurt them even more. Yeah, and I made, I made mistakes like that as a youth pastor. I really did. So I would encourage people to consider, you know, that even though it may be people just, you may look at it and say, oh, that people, you know, kids are just having fun, teens are just being teens. However, uh, keep in mind that 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 young man or young person could be deeply hurt by that. So yeah, and remember also the conversation where we started off talking about cultural stereotypes. And mm-hmm. so you get a stereotype and somebody says, well, a man doesn't do that. Whatever the, you know, 
within reason what the example may be. And we're talking about the, you know, you mentioned those who may be more inclined toward the arts, but when God was having Moses build the tabernacle, he gave men the ability to to make it ornate and and to design mm-hmm. it and build it. And, you know, that's something which is is commendable. And and I think but, that's where we, you know, move into that that danger of having a cultural stereotype and trying to enforce that. But I think that's yeah, true it, even it, in our own mind. Me, I can, can I throw this in here really quick? It, it just because it, it goes back to what Brother Russ was talking about and 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 the the toxicity that can exist in a youth group if you if you allow that and we do got to remember and i know this better than anyone because i I make this mistake that humor can hurt and we've got to be careful we don't we don't allow our humor to hurt people um in scenarios and situations like that anyways that's that's just a reminder for me sorry for interrupting you brother tom well i think that I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. Uh, oh, I remember what it was. It was brilliant. Um, not really brilliant. I'm just being sarcastic here. Uh, I can remember as a boy being concerned about how I was perceived, you know, especially as a younger man, as a teenager, and even as a young pastor, because there were things that quote unquote real men did that I didn't like to do, like hunting, for example. Mm-hmm. I have zero interest in hunting. I love the outdoors. hike all the time. Have, have zero interest in hunting. I don't go fishing. And I used to be concerned, well, how's that going to make me look? How am I going to be perceived? I can remember as a young pastor thinking to myself, how will I ever reach men if I can't relate to them? If I don't like, you know, I don't, I don't go hunting, I don't go fishing. And I've learned that you don't have to do those things to be a real man. And you don't have right. to do those things to have a good relationship with men and have the respect of men. Um, it goes back to what's a phrase you used earlier, Brother Russ, about character more than costliness or depth more than demeanor. It's who you are on the inside. Real men love real men. They just instinctively do. And that's one of the awesomest things about church, about my church in particular. It's filled with not perfect men by any stretch, but men who are men. And it is an mm-hmm. awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that's that's the whole idea of – you know, just because someone doesn't like one of those natural markers of manhood isn't the opportunity to jump on them and joke about them and bash them into the ground about that. Just let them be, you know, like if a guy can't grow a beard, leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can't take a joke, that's right. I've been waiting to work in Spurgeon's quote about beards that it's, you know, something that is good and beneficial and godly and, and manly. manly. But yeah. anyway, um, you mentioned about, you know, we've talked about church and the manliness and different things. Do you think there are things in our churches, words, ways we do things that are normal to us, but to the the average man on the street seems unusual. And one example I've heard before is we talk about sharing, you know, share what's on your heart. That's not language that men generally use. Do you think there's anything to that? Or I would take that a step further and say um, the Bible never says share the gospel. It says preach the gospel. If we use Bible words, we stay out of that problem. Mm-hmm. That's good. So you're talking about sharing in the sense of sharing um – you know, sharing a sermon as a, or as opposed to preaching it. But no, it says also, share a message. It says, right, it doesn't that, say share what's on your heart. It says preach the, preach the word. Right. But, but, but language is in the testimonies. Church. 
you know, you know share I mean? a testimony, share a blessing. And that's not necessarily wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's, you know, that should be stopped. But do you think there's a danger, maybe in some churches more than others, that it becomes very oh, effeminate? Sure. Yeah. And I spoke about that, about effeminate churches. And we didn't touch on this, but I think in a lot of a lot of, especially on the contemporary side or the independent Baptist movement that's leaning contemporary, you find their pastors actually dialing back what it is to be a man and essentially dialing up the effeminate side of them so much so that on a personal level, not a theological level, on a personal level, it turns my stomach to watch some of these so-called pastors who just get up and it's like they're princing or uh, prancing or mincing across the the, the platform. And it's like, come on, man, just be a man, just be comfortable in who God made you to be and stop trying to be some blow dried, sissified, be all things to everybody. So I don't offend anybody. Yeah. And that really hits on, on the whole be, be what God made you rather than to play some angle. Yeah. You know, uh, some pragmatic angle of I've got to try to I've got to try to be this to, you know, and and we the principle of becoming all things to all men. And and I think that gets messed up. I think that has more to do with don't add distractors to the gospel than Mm -hmm. try to pretty up the gospel. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, you know, we ought to God made us all individuals. The disciples were all individuals. Their personality is seen. In, in the scripture that they wrote, in in the way they ministered. And I, I don't I don't try to weigh, you know, the way I'm going to be. And if I'm drawing in this type or even this generation or that generation, it's God made me. He's going to work on me spiritually. He's going to use me. And that's not an excuse for ungodliness, but it's that boy, if God made you a man in the way he did be that and that's going to reach all types of people. Amen. I think we need to emphasize distinction over demeanor as well. Yes. When, what do you mean? You know, well, I think I, in my mind, I'm, in my mind, I'm still considering, you know, how could we help parents or pastors or youth pastors who have a young person whose um, natural demeanor is more soft and I'm not even going to use the word effeminate, but it's just not as it's not, you know, whatever. I, just let me kind of get my thought out here. Um, the Bible is clear on the distinction. All right. So, I mean, there's distinction between male and female in the Bible all over the place. There's Doth physical distinction. Does not even nature itself Correct. say that it's a shame for a man to have long hair? Somebody right, wrote a blog post today about hair. Yeah, yeah, I know. You but know. a man a man is distinct. And that a lot of that does have to do with the exterior. Uh, obviously, we, we even know the DNA is distinct. I mean, the, the genes are distinct. But clothing, there's physical distinction. There's there's the fact that a man is to be a provider. Um, there's all of those things. So when you go to emphasize to your children about being, uh, to your sons or to young men about being manly, emphasize that there is a distinction and go to where that is in scripture. And we, we haven't even listed them all. I'm not suggesting that we should in this podcast. I'm just trying to think of how to help people who are wondering, you know, I mean, Martin, you brought up a good point about earlier men, you know, there are, there were men in the Bible who were emotional. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Isaiah wept. David, Jesus wept. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. of, of all of those men, I think that's even the most important thing. Uh, now with my sons, you, you don't get to cry if you're not hurt. If you're, you know, if you're crying and you're not hurt, then you're whining, you know, that that's different. You have but a if you're, if your heart is hurt and there are tears, I admire that in my children. I draw them close. I embrace them over that. I 
I remember my dad was so good about that, that, you know, physically and all that, there was to be a toughness. But there were times my heart was broken as a young man and he had compassion on me. And I want to have that with my kids, my sons, my daughters, my daughter, um, you know, all of those kind of things. So just for what it's worth, I mean, my mind was still there as we were talking through all of that. So I wanted to throw that in here at the end, I guess. Yeah. Blurring gender lines is not something that has helped our society. Right. And there are markers. In fact, I had this happen to me. This is a week, less than a week ago. I went to a, a an affogato shop, which is a, a coffee float. Basically, it's it's ice cream with espresso poured over it. And I went to the bathroom there. I, I should have known when they had <laughs> I, I should have known when they had like they had vegan options on their menu or what. But honestly, the bathroom signs, I, I stood there. And I was trying to decipher which is men and which is women's because they just had like pictures of what was in the bathrooms, like toilets or urinals and this and that. So I walked in the one I thought was the men's and all the stalls were pink. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong one. So then I walked into the other one. All the stalls were pink, but there were no urinals. So, so yeah, I did. I just did. I literally didn't know. I, I did not know. But that's what the one was. Actually, there was no one. So then I went back in the first one and I saw a urinal and I thought, well, that's pretty good. You know, I think I'm safe, but I'm telling you, and it's just, that's just a metaphor for where yeah, yeah. we are as a society in the sense that there's this, this, and men need to stand up to that because it is going to destroy women and children. Amen. And the transgender movement is really moving toward, you know, involving minors in fill in things they shouldn't be involved in. It's it's we must stand. And I think you, you've brought it to a good point there is that when men are not men as God has designed them to be, women and children suffer. And toxic masculinity is not when men are aggressive. It's when men do not fulfill the role that God has given to them. That's good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I think we all have come to a place of agreement finally in this podcast. So <laughs> I commend Reverend Wickens for accomplishing that. Amen. 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 All right, Brother Russ, let's wrap it up. Who's writing the, uh, who's writing the letter on this one? Oh, that's yeah. right. Brother Russ probably, is probably, probably someone that has a beard, so. <laughs> that leaves you out. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, yeah we did talk about this ahead of time, and I just plum forgot. Brother Russ is writing the letter on this one. Let's act as if we didn't just mess up by way of me. Brother Russ, we have come to the conclusion of our podcast with joint agreement on all the fount of information and knowledge and wisdom that is the Dear Church podcast. In this specifically discussion of masculinity, let us throw it at the conclusion to the man who represents very well, in all seriousness, what the Lord wants us to be. Brother Russ, give us our letter to the church. Dear Church, Masculinity is being attacked by Satan and culture to the degree that it's no longer recognized or respected. Instead, masculinity is discouraged. It's no longer revered. Rather, it is criticized. But Jesus was a man. He was a man in the sense that he was strong, but he was also meek. He was tough, but he was also gentle. When men are not men, women and children suffer. And so we must be men, and we must teach our sons to be men, but not men according to a wrong definition. Far too much abuse has been justified by a skewed perspective on masculinity, 
and far too much is being lost by neglecting the pursuit of biblical manhood. We should teach our sons to be men, men of understanding like Daniel, men of physical toughness like David, men who walk with God like Enoch, and men who know how to conduct themselves wisely in a crowd like the Apostle Paul. There are men in the Bible who exemplify these qualities well, but none so well as the man, Christ Jesus. The scripture says that as the Savior grew, he grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. He grew mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially. May we strive to raise our sons to be the kind of person that Jesus grew to be. Your servants, Martin Wickens, Tom Brennan, Steve Brudnick, and Stephen Russ. Mm-hmm.